This Marketplace podcast is supported by Invest Puerto Rico. Build the future in paradise. Puerto Rico, a hub for innovators brimming with world-class talent and a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem. Learn more at investpr.org backslash marketplace today. Well, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. No, sorry. Hey everybody, I'm Kai Rizdal. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make the day make sense. It is, uh, what is today? The 16th of August. It's a Wednesday. Nova Sappho is here because Kimberly's off running around the Himalayas. Hi, Nova. Himalayas. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's good to yeah. be with you as stepping in for Kimberly, although I wish I was stepping in with her for her in the Himalayas. No but... joke. <laughs> but I'll take no it. No joke. Yeah. Hanging yeah, out with you is too. a very, very nice second prize. <laughs> Oh, you're too kind. You it's are too truth. kind. Why? Uh, why are you in LA, by the way? Because we should say you're usually up in Fresno. What brought you down? Uh, what brought you down to the big city? Yeah, um, I was. I headed to San Francisco last week, so I needed to drop off the pups with the parents in LA. Uh-huh. And I came back and stuck around. I was off on a reporting trip last week, so nice. um, it's p- part of the logistics well, of having to travel for work. Fair enough. Yeah. Let's get the plug in here, actually. If uh-huh. you did not hear the Marketplace Morning Report uh, the last couple Monday of days, Tuesday. I forget exactly yeah. when it is. Monday, Tuesday. Uh, Nova did a story from Fresno on Monday and San Francisco on Tuesday. The varying fortunes of downtowns uh, in the state of California. And they were great. I learned a ton, which oh. uh, is always good. And it was they were really well done and well edited and well produced. So... Uh, We'll put them on the show page. They're also on the Marketplace homepage, but the Marketplace homepage can be tricky to find stuff on. So we'll put them on our show page. All right. Well, I do appreciate um, that. Because they were really good. Thank you. you Thank you, sir. You bet. Uh, All right. So let's, uh, uh, we'll do some news. We'll do some smiles. And then we shall move merrily along. Uh, What do you have, Noah? What do you got? Oh, I go first. Fabulous. Um, So I got a story uh, from the Los Angeles Times by reporter Noah Bierman, uh, just to give a plug out to the reporter there. Mm -hmm. And it was really fascinating to me because it compared homelessness in Los Angeles with homelessness in Detroit, Michigan, of all places. Mm. Um, Detroit has, per capita, a lot more poverty than L.A. does, and yet per capita, Mm. L.A. has a lot more homeless, Yeah, even though it has fewer poor people per capita. You know, the rates are lower. So then the question was why, and the answer was deceptively simple, according to this article, and that is, simply put, Detroit has a lot more affordable homes. So even if you're not making that much money, you can still get a roof over your head. And there have been studies showing this to be the case. And I don't know why we're not doing it yet. It is apparently and repeatedly shown to be pretty simple. Affordable housing and also just getting people under a roof will do the trick. Yeah. Yeah, It's a a fascinating article, and I highly recommend everybody go check it out on the LA Times website. Uh, It really... It's just remarkable to see the difference between how folks there can live on uh, with rent as low as $750 a month for a three-bedroom home. It's not a great home. Oh, my You know, Lord. I mean, yeah. you got leaky yeah. roofs, et cetera, but a roof is a roof. A uh, permanent address is a permanent address, and it solves a lot of problems. So, 
Yeah, well, that, that's yeah. the thing about housing, right, is that when you don't have housing, there are all kinds of ancillary problems that come to you, the individual, also your family, and also society. And so it is in our collective best interest to get the housing challenge fixed. We are absolutely, as this article points out, not doing it here uh, in the city of Los Angeles. Yeah. For sure. And uh, the for other sure. thing, uh, you know, that this took me down a rabbit hole, this article, I got to say. And I, I found this uh, uh, study from the University of California, San Francisco, released this year. It showed that uh, the median income six months prior to homelessness was 960 mm-hmm. bucks a month. They did this study that really went out there and actually talked to, fo- talked to folks who are unhoused. And they also found that the people who became homeless had as little as 10 days notice. The median date, number of days was 10 mm. for leaseholders. And they said that if they had a monthly rent subsidy of 300 to 500 bucks, that's it. They would have been able to prevent mm homelessness for that particular family. And that's so little compared to how much we spend and how much it costs society to pay for folks and uh, and the other costs, like healthcare costs, policing costs, yeah, community yeah. costs involved once beca- people become homeless. So just preventing it for so little on the dollar for what it costs once yeah. the people become homeless, big difference. And it's really worth the return on investment. Note to producers uh, listening to this podcast, we should do a thing on homelessness. I I don't know what it (laughs) is. I don't know uh, how we slice it because it's a huge topic, but um, we should think about that. We should just uh, throw that into the future story ideas hopper. Yeah. Uh, But good stuff, Noam. I'm I'm glad you brought that one. Uh, Okay, so I've got two. One's a personal pet peeve, uh, but also an issue of national security, and the other one is just really geeky on bond rates, and I'll go with the geeky first. I, I am obliged to point out that money is, uh, even with the Federal Reserve uh, slowing its rate hiking cycle, money is getting ever more expensive in this economy. The U.S. uh, 10-year Treasury today closed at 4.258%, which does not sound like a lot, but it is the highest the 10-year has been. The 10-year, of course, is the benchmark. Uh, Highest the 10-year has been in 2008. It has ramifications in, oh, look, the housing market because of mortgage rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got ramifications in automobiles and energy and anything that is capital intensive where you have to borrow money to get your product or your uh, investment taken care of. It is a big, big challenge in this economy, not least of which for the government of the United States, which now has to pay more to borrow money to cover all the debts that we are collectively running up. So keep your eye on the bond market, even though the Fed is pausing. The markets are now saying, you know what? We need to make money more expensive in this economy because maybe the economy is growing too fast. Maybe 5% mm-hmm. growth from the Atlanta Fed the other day that we talked about on Marketplace yesterday um, is a little bit too much, and people are worried about it. So keep your eye on the tenure. Yeah. Uh, Kai, you scared the dickens out of me with this story, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, look, it's real. It's scary because when you when you say things like June 2008, something not been as bad as that, 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 <laughs> that gets my, that immediately yeah. makes my heart sink. You know, no, thank you very much. No comparing to June yeah. 2008. That's really scary. Yeah. And uh, it also makes me wonder what's going to, how that's going to affect the housing market. You yeah. know, uh, people yeah, look, are just so a, trying, a year... just getting back in and all of a sudden they can't. A 30-year fixed is now 7.16%. Yeah. Think about that for a minute. That's just, that is not great. That is not great. And look, I don't care if the Fed starts cutting tomorrow. Mortgage rates are not going to come down as quickly as the Fed will cut, and the Fed is not going to start cutting tomorrow. Um, So they're going to be up there for a while, which means housing affordability is going to be a problem, which means people who have existing mortgages at, say, 3%, right? Mm -hmm. They're not going to move. I'm not moving out of my house with a 3% mortgage, taking a 7.1% mortgage. That's not happening, you know? Yeah. So it uh, goes back to prove that old, um, you know, 
warning that we've been hearing a lot over the last year. You raise rates that fast, something can break. And so it's right. Yeah, right. very scary. Right, exactly. Uh, all right, so a point of personal privilege uh, and, and a pet peeve of mine, and I've talked about this before, but I do need to note it again. So on Monday, a guy by the name of Mike Gilday retired uh, from his job, which ordinarily I would not mark, except that Mike Gilday is a four-star admiral in the United States Navy, and on Monday he stepped down as the chief of naval operations, the chief uniformed officer in the naval service, and also a member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Hmm. Uh, a replacement has been nominated. Her name, and this would be the first woman on the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the first woman to uh, be the senior uniformed officer in the United States Navy, is Linda Franchetti. She's a four-star admiral, obviously, because that's what you got to be to get that job. She cannot take that job because the senior senator from Alabama, who used to be a football coach until two and a half, three years ago, named Tommy Tuberville, has decided that he is not going to let any military promotions go through uh, because he doesn't like the Pentagon's policy on reproductive rights. Um, I just have to note it here, and I have to note that it's deeply irresponsible and damaging to national security and very short-sighted, and it makes us look in the eyes of our uh, military uh, allies around the world stupid. <laughs> how do you really that's feel? <laughs> that's that's how I really feel. Look, this one's this one. This yeah, one, I, I, yeah. I, I try not to opine so brusquely on this podcast because... I probably shouldn't, but this one I'll take no, because it's it's uh, this matters uh, to me, and I just I yeah. can't. And I have a civilian question for you, Kai. Yeah. If yeah. the president is the chief uh, commander in chief, why does he? Chief, yeah. yeah. Why does he need Congress's approval to appoint the leaders of the military services? Be- because uh, commissioned officers in the military, from from ensign, which is you know where I entered my naval service, mm. to through lieutenant, all the way up to the top ranks, they have to be uh, confirmed by the United States Senate. That is by statute, right? So all officer promotions are subject to the advice and consent of the Senate, and usually it happens in great big batches. When I got promoted from lieutenant junior grade to lieutenant. There were probably 5,000 of us who were on the same piece of paper that went to the Senate, and the Senate, without anybody realizing what was going on, no Senate was looking at a name of of 5,000 lieutenants junior grade. They just did the whole unanimous consent thing, and it passed in in a wink. Tuberville now is taking advantage of the unanimous consent thing in the Senate, which is to say that the way the Senate works on routine matters is that uh, if nobody objects, things sail through, but if even one senator objects, things come to a screeching halt. And Tuberville has now done that for 300-ish senior military officers, more than just the Joint Chiefs of Staff, by the way. It's down to fleet commanders and army commanders. It's it's a big deal. But but the Senate has to sign off on, has to advise and consent to commission officer promotions, not just in the Navy, but in, in all branches of the armed services. Is there a case to be made to get rid of that, though? Because if they're just, you know, rubber stamping anyway, if it's routine... And well, so so look, so at at the lower levels. So first of all, it won't ever happen. Right. The Senate Mm -hmm. of the United States is not going to give up any of its power Uh, at at the lower levels. It makes some sense. But I think you want at the senior level where you have military officers going out and making military military to military contacts with our allies, speaking on behalf of the Pentagon and the armed forces and in some ways of the nation when. They are thrust into the limelight, and and the most recent example is, well, not most recent, but one that comes to mind is Norman Schwarzkopf in in, uh, the first Gulf War in 91, Mm -hmm. 92, 93, right? He was the face of the American military. Storm and Norman. He was Storm and Norman, right? Yeah. He was nominated by the president 
to that job as, as commander of Central Command, and he was confirmed by the Senate. The Senate gave uh, the legislative okay to that one, and so thus he had the backing, as it were, of the Congress of the United States. So, yeah, I think that matters. I, I think that's relevant. I see um, your point, like, because they're kind of representing the country that there should be right. kind of political, right. uh, they should get, exactly. go through the political gauntlet. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, all right, Charlton, let us move on from uh, the substance, shall we, into something <laughs> uh, more relaxed. All right, guests go first again. Oh, well, thank Nova. you, sir. Go ahead. Um, you know, I love this article from The Atlantic. It's written by a not a disinterested party in the subject matter by Stephen Waldman, who's the president uh, and co-founder of Report for America. Um, mm-hmm. And he makes an interesting case for local news and perhaps even public or private funding of local news, talking about return on investment that, in fact, for a meager salary of a local news reporter, which... You know, say an average of sixty thousand dollars a year, which is, uh, as he says, generous by industry standards. Yeah. You you could have a return multiples of that in terms of, you know, finding out government overspending, uh, wrongdoing, uh, companies that get fined because of uh, in their bad behavior, and the money that comes into government coffers from that. That there's multiple examples, example after example that it can really make a huge difference and that, the you know, reporters are worth their weight <laughs> in gold, yeah. as they say. And one really interesting uh, example he gives is a study. It's a journal article uh, written by academics at the University of Notre Dame, University of Illinois, and elsewhere. And it found, and it looked at bond offerings at communities uh, with and without local news. I mean, this is such a, hmm. you know, you would never think about this. From 1996 to 2015, it found that borrowing costs were... About $650,000 an issue, on average, more when it was a community that was less covered or didn't have local news coverage. That's so interesting. Right? That's so interesting. Um, I kind of love that. So think about how much money uh, having local news reporters saves communities or brings in. It it really pays for itself and then some. I love the article and I love that argument. That's great. That's great. We'll put it on the show page. Yeah. so, so here's mine. I'm I'm a soccer fan. As listeners to this podcast know, I'm a I'm a high school and college soccer referee, and so I've been watching, of course, and getting up stupidly early LA time to watch the <laughs> Women's World Cup. I, I got up this morning and I watched Australia and England, and and it's too bad that that Australia lost. But I, I do want to just point out, and this is this is uh, it's a little off topic, but whatever. Mm-hmm. So Australia lost. Also, spoiler alert. Sorry if you taped it and you haven't watched it, but also internet. So whatever. Um, <laughs> I just so so look. There is no bigger backer of the United States women's national team than myself. Yeah, um, I'm a huge fan of women's soccer and all soccer in general. But I would submit that it's not a terrible thing that the U.S. women's national team went out uh, early-ish uh, in this tournament or earlier in the tournament. And here's why: it gave room for other countries to show what they have done and developed. And the case in point is Australia, which took that country, the tournaments being held in Australia and New Zealand, the Australian women's team took that country by storm, and they are incredibly popular now. That sport has uh, risen in in interest. They were watching it uh, more than Australian rules football down there. 
Um, I just think it's really cool that other countries, Spain, Colombia, the Colombian team is amazing, had a great run after the Americans left. I think the Americans had, they kept on going in this tournament and look, I wish they had, but they yeah. didn't. And I think if they had kept on going, some of these other teams would not have had the, the breathing room mm -hmm. to show what they can do. And so it's not about the decline of the American team in contrast to all the commentary that's out there. It's actually about the rise of the breast, if I could steal a phrase from Fried Zakaria. Um, and I think that's great. And I think it's good yeah. for women's soccer. I love and that positive attitude. And you know what? There you go. Uh, yeah. And also, do you think it added more suspense to the tournament? Because, you know, the big oh, yeah. heavy favorite yeah, wasn't sure. there. You know? for, for sure. Absolutely made it a better tournament. You betcha. There you Absolutely. go. That's a good point. Yeah. Totally believe it. I love there it. I go. feel like we've All heard right, more so. about it than we would have otherwise, <laughs> to be honest. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We've heard so much absolutely. more about the women's totally. soccer tournament. Totally. Totally yeah. would have. Uh, all right, we're done. Uh, yeah, okay. Back tomorrow. Uh, you're back, right? I am. Through the rest I of the am. week? Indeed. I should know this. All right. Yes. <laughs> uh, send us your comments, your questions. 508-UB-SMART uh, is how you can do that with us. Write to us at makemesmart at marketplace.org. We read them all. We listen to them all. And some of them get on the pot. Mm. Can't wait to read those. Yeah. All right. We don't read them. <laughs> Courtney does. Bridget, maybe, too. Make Me Smart okay. is produced by Courtney Berg. Seeker Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Today's program was engineered by Charlton Thorpe. Our intern is Neela Farshabandi. Ben Tolliday and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. Our senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodnar is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. There we go. There it is. <laughs>